This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Buzunas. If you're one of thousands of frustrated members of Steve Nash Fitness, I've got some good news. A deal's been struck to sell the chain to what is believed to be 24-hour fitness, a deal anticipated to close next week. It includes assigning the leases on 16 out of the original 29 locations to the new company. As gyms begin to reopen, not everyone is anxious to renew their memberships, opting instead for home and or outdoor workouts. Some gyms are restricting the number of members on the floor at any one time, limiting time workouts and booking online. The big box gyms are now having to rethink what they offer potential members, including shorter term and cheaper memberships. The vast majority of BC seniors' homes now have been approved to accept visitors. Health Minister Dix reported this week 465 of the 584 seniors' homes in BC are now allowed visitors. A dramatic plunge in the hotel revenue due to COVID has presented a new opportunity to ease the housing situation. As of last week, hotel occupancy in Vancouver was only 7%. Hotel experts are now suggesting multifamily rentals could be an option. Rocky Mountaineer, the high-end tourist train, has suspended its service this summer thanks to COVID. Those who have booked will receive a future travel credit of 110%. And just to make sure you're the smartest person in the room today. Did you know the Rocky Mountaineer is the largest private train service in the world? And if I were to ask you where you could indulge in a world-class strudel, could you name a place? There are a handful of bakeries that specialize in the German treat, and this fall, the Honey Brew Strudel Bar is set to launch in downtown Vancouver at 785 Davie. Chris Sabat, General Counsel for Macmillan Estate Planning. Uh, Chris, welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. How have you been doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me as your guest today. And I know you've been uh, busy enjoying the summer and working. Uh, that brings me to one question. When it comes to estate planning, I know a lot of people who have uh, summer residences, retreats, cottages. How does that play into an estate planning process? Because once a person passes and that cottage becomes up for grabs, uh, how important is it to include exactly what should be done with that summer vacation retreat? You know, I, from my perspective, it's, it's you know, absolutely essential. And, uh, you know, what we see on our end is that sort of the summer cabin or cottage can be, can be a bit of a flashpoint in an estate. Um, you know, if, if the family hasn't made a, a decision around what's going to happen to that asset, you know, is it going to go to a particular children or is it going to be maybe shared amongst the children in some way? You know, is it going to be, um, you know, kind of a legacy for the family to, to gather at, you know, theoretically for generations to come? You know, those are all sort the sort of things that need to be decided because unfortunately, you know, even in a scenario where, you know, maybe you have your two children as your executor, they're going to have to come to some kind of an agreement if you haven't specified as to what's going to happen to that property. You know, will it be kept? Who will keep it? Will it be sold? What's the sale value? You know, all of those sorts of things. And it can become a, a real flashpoint in uh, in an estate and, a, and an important part to plan for. Well, how do you make sure that in an estate planning process that 
uh, either the kids or whoever your heirs are, uh, don't get into an argument over, okay, who's, who's supposed to clean it, who's supposed to maintain it, and, you know, not just who's going to stay in it a certain, you know, and who, uh, by the way, if we want to sell it, if one party wants to sell it and the other doesn't, is there some kind of a shotgun clause in there? You know, absolutely. I mean, something like a, like a shotgun clause, which is often used in business, can, can be included as part of the plan. You know, really, at the end of the day, what you have to think about is, you know, first of all, you know, who's going to use the, the, the cabin or the, or, you know, the sort of the, the country resort? And, uh, you know, other things like, you know, how will it be held or how will it be owned and by who? And, you know, really, at the end of the day, who's, who's going to pay for this thing? And, you know, the, it's interesting because it's, it's something that's relatively easy to visualize when it comes to maybe the, the children, but, you know, if you think about it, as it moves on to the next generation, you know, perhaps there's a, the, the passing of one of, a, a, you know, one of the children and, you know, the grandchildren inherit that child's share of the cabin. Suddenly now the cabin's theoretically being shared between grandchildren and, you know, uncles and aunts. It starts to become that much more unmanageable. And that's why it's key that there's a, a really good plan in relation to how the cabin will be owned, how it'll be controlled, you know, how expenses are paid for, all of those sorts of things. Otherwise, you know, this can actually become quite a sore point for, for quite a number of years. Is is it any different, Chris, when we talk about a summer retreat, a cabin, than the principal residence uh, that you are leaving to heirs? No, you know, generally speaking, it, it isn't. Um, you know, maybe what, what changes is the value. And, of course, you know, that's all dependent on the nature of the property, where it's located, and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, what's, what's quite interesting is if it ends up being a property where there ends up being quite a bit of growth in value over the years, you know, of course, one day, you know, typically, especially if something like a trust is used to hold that asset, you know, even taxes become due. And so the question becomes, well, how, how are those taxes going to be paid for? And if we don't have, um, you know, heirs that have, uh, similar resources that can become a sticking point between the, between the heirs themselves. Chris Saba, General Counsel, McMillan Estate Planning, uh, joining us on this edition of Vancouver Consumer at CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Uh, Chris can be reached, McMillanEstate.com, McMillanEstate.com, or 1-833-266-6464. Are you going to be covering uh, this part of what you and your firm do on your virtual seminars coming up, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll touch on it. Um, you know, well, certainly what we'll be doing is focusing on, on trust planning and, um, you know, at a high level, what trust planning facilitates is really the management of any sort of asset. So it could be that principal residence, it can be the cabin, you know, it can be the investment portfolio that's left behind by a family. Um, you know, the concepts really apply to any form of property and, uh, and trusts are, you know, can be quite a, quite a, a creative solution to help with a lot of the issues around the management of assets after a, a family member passes. You've got three uh, webinars coming up July 29th, August 12th and 26th. That'd be August. And you can register online. These are free, of course. Uh, simply go to mcmillanestate.com and uh, they'll get you all registered up and you can ask your own questions if you have a property at issue in your estate. One of the things that oftentimes will come up when we try to rule from the grave, Chris, is I want to leave a cabin or my principal resident or other assets to uh, my son or daughter, uh, but I don't want it to go to 
uh, their spouse or partner upon their death. What happens there? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a common concern. You know, we often refer to it as sort of bloodline protection, uh, whether it's a cabin or any other asset. You know, typically most families, they have as their vision that the legacy that they've built will stay with their children and, you know, of course, then move on to the grandchildren. And in the event of a, a divorce, that sort of thing, you know, divorce and remarriage, what, what most families are not interested in seeing is their hard work diverted to a different family. And so trust planning often comes into play as as part of that, you know, particularly in circumstances where um, a significant legacy is left to the children, you know, you know, even during the lifetime of of kind of the founding, you know, the founding generation of the family legacy, you know, we're guarding against things like new relationships later in life. You know, it's often very unfortunate when a situation comes about where someone marries later in life they pass away and then you know ultimately the family of the of the new spouse ends up with all of the assets that's that's typically never what anybody has in mind in relation to their overall estate plan wouldn't it just be easier at least in my estimation that if you have say a family cabin and we're not focusing only on that but let's use that as an example that upon your death uh, you sell the cabin regardless of whether uh, one of your heirs wants to keep it or not, but you sell it and then just distribute the money and everybody goes their own way. You know, that's that's a common approach. Many people certainly do take that approach as it relates to an asset like a cabin. But, uh, you know, for many individuals, you know, the cabin's been in the, in the family for, you know, decades. The family comes together. It's a gathering point. There's a real emotional connection, and they'd like to see that that continue on and if that's you know if that's part of the goal for your family and for your legacy it's something that we can we can put into uh, into effect and 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 have it come about and be a very successful part of an estate plan uh, you mentioned trusts when it comes to protecting and keeping it in the bloodline for future generations uh, let's ex- expand on that a little bit chris yeah sure ab- absolutely so uh, you you know, you yourself, you highlighted it, you know, things can happen, um, you know, if an inheritance is passed directly to an individual, you know, assets are commingled with a spouse, and then something like a divorce happens, you know, maybe there's a lawsuit as a result of a bad business venture, and suddenly the, you know, the financial wealth that were built, that was built by the parents ends up being diverted to uh, you know, what is now an ex-daughter-in-law or an ex-son-in-law, you know, assets end up being utilized to pay, uh, you know, a creditor. That's typically not what someone has in mind for, you know, for the assets that they generated, that they built up during a lifetime. We we all want to see our assets help our family uh, and other individuals that are close to us and important to us. Typically, we don't mind if, if the daughter-in-law gets some sort of... Uh, you know, uh, associated benefit with, with, uh, sorry, associated benefit as a result of the fact that they're married to, you know, to our son or to our daughter. But once the relationship ends, if it does end, and certainly there's a high divorce rate in Canada, we don't want to see those assets diverted outside of the family. Well, uh, the most recent statistic that I've read, Chris, uh, the average marriage in British Columbia before a divorce 14.4 years. So you got 14 and a half years to get your estate plan in order. 
<laughs> when it comes to this kind of a thing. Chris Sabat, General Counsel, McMillan Estate Planning, joining us on this edition of Vancouver Consumer at CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas, McMillanEstate.com, or you can call Chris and his firm uh, directly, 1-833-266-6464. If what we were talking about has raised any questions, uh, you can ask those questions uh, during a series of uh, webinars coming up. Uh, sponsored by Macmillan Estate. Uh, you simply call their number, one 866 6464 or uh, go to their website, and sign up for these virtual webinars. You can ask all the questions you want. July 29th, August the 12th and 26th, a series of three coming up in the next uh, month or so. When we talk about estate planning, one of the things when we have a non-principal residence is capital gains. How do we protect against that in an estate plan? That's a fantastic question. So, you know, capital gains apply in relation to, you know, really any form of asset, including the cabin, but but it also applies, obviously, to increased value in relation to your business, your investment accounts, those sorts of things. And, you know, generally speaking, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid all capital gains. There's just, you know, it's just a sort of a fact of life. And ultimately, there's going to be some some capital gains taxation in relation to most estates. You know, one of the key things that you have to do is you have to plan for that so that, you know, for example, if you have a, an asset like a business, you know, an asset like the cabin, we don't find that it's a situation where those assets that you actually want to keep as part of your legacy need to be sold in order to satisfy that tax obligation. Now, you know, having said that, there are ways through estate planning that we can minimize, uh, you know, capital gains taxation, you know, things like estate freezes and, and, and whatnot that can help ultimately with that terminal tax bill. But, uh, at the end of the day, you're not going to get away from all taxes. That's that's just a simple reality. Well, uh, protecting your estate, um, setting up a line of defense, I've often heard you speak about that. So there are various options, and we're going to uh, look into some of those options as we continue with Chris Sabat, General Counsel, Macmillan Estate Planning. Uh, MacmillanEstate.com or one 866 64 64. The matrimonial home, uh, Chris, it, that's a, a legal term, but it differs uh, depending on the province that you live in. Uh, in British Columbia, what does the matrimonial home mean? Yeah, you, you know, to, to summarize, I mean, if you really look at it, you know, across across the country, generally speaking, you know, the matrimonial home is, is you know, just as it sounds. I mean, it's the home in which the 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 couple resides during the course of, of their marriage or during part of their marriage. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting asset to, to plan for in relation to an estate. Uh, you know, one of the real key benefits of, you know, what, what you might think of as quote unquote, the matrimonial home is that typically it's the principal residence. And of course, you know, one of the great benefits of that is the fact that as its value grows, it grows tax free. And so it, it ultimately becomes for all of us a significant part often of our, of our overall net worth and the, and the value of our estate. And, you know, as it relates to estate planning, what we need to do is to think about, you know, in the event of the passing of one spouse or, you know, ultimately both, what's, you know, what's going to happen to that value? How will it transition through the estate? Well, I got a little bit of a shock. I think most Canadian homeowners did just this week, Chris, maybe you can touch on it. 
it has been denied by the uh, Trudeau liberal government that they are eyeballing a capital gains tax on your principal residence. Uh, what have you heard about that? Because that significantly changes uh, the chess game. Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, it absolutely does. I think, you know, I think right now we're just in a, in a, in a significant period of uncertainty around taxation. And it's interesting because that's one of the themes that we hear from folks that are contacting us. You know, initially when sort of COVID, the COVID crisis came about, you know, there were a lot of individuals that were concerned about, you know, do I have things in place in case I become ill, you know, in case someone needs to step in and manage my assets or, or, you know, ultimately I I should pass. Now, a lot of the folks that are calling us, they're saying, look, I, you know, I can do the math. I can see that significant government resources are being spent to, to manage this crisis. And I'm worried about taxation. I'm worried about taxation during my lifetime. And I'm worried about taxation of my estate. And so, you know, more and more we're fielding calls from business owners, entrepreneurs, um, you know, individuals with significant portfolios, um, you know, significant or assets with significant unpaid capital gains, looking for opportunities to try and minimize that taxation. And, you know, we're really in a place where we don't know exactly what's going to come about, but I think it's fair to say that that something's going to have to be done in the way of taxation for the government to raise some revenue. And and we need to start to take the steps to to guard against that. Well, those steps include uh, contacting Chris and his firm at mcmillanestate.com to protect your assets, because as Chris pointed out, we just do not know, repeat, do not know uh, what the government has in store to raise the money that they've spent uh, covering off COVID. So uh, the sooner the better, because, you know, things are going to be coming down the pike uh, probably sooner than later. So one of the things you might want to consider is joining in on a series of webinars that McMillan Estate is planning. McMillanEstate.com is how you register those webinars July 29th. August the 12th and August the 26th. They are free, of course, and you can ask your questions of Chris Sabat and his firm at McMillan Estate Planning. McMillanEstate.com, McMillanEstate.com, 1-833-266-6464, 1-833-266-6464. Chris, in the first segment, we talked a lot about protecting assets uh, during the post pandemic period when we don't exactly know uh, what the government has in store for us when it comes to taxation of our assets to pay uh, the cost of uh, COVID. Uh, One of the ways, you know, there are various ways, uh, you know, raise a sales tax, uh, put a capital gains tax on your principal residence. They've denied that that is in the works, but uh, you can say what you want about denials. That can turn in a moment or further taxing uh, the wealthy. What is your firm advising wealthier clients to do uh, with this uncertainty? What are what are some of the big things you can do right now to protect their portfolios? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a fantastic question. So, you know, one of the techniques that has been utilized for quite a number of years and is, is quite successful is something called an estate freeze. And you know, really, what we're doing is defining with some certainty exactly what the tax liability will be. Uh, when an individual passes and we're transferring any sort of future growth that might occur during your lifetime. So, you know, as a simple example, if your business right now is worth $10 million, 
you know, we can define the tax liability at $10 million. And if during your lifetime, the business value or the real estate portfolio or the investment portfolio grows by, say, you know, $3 million, we're able to eliminate the taxation on that growth. And so that has, you know, a significant dollar impact to an estate right now. And if we see something, you know, come out of the government like an increase in the capital gains inclusion rate, the, the benefits, you know, only multiplied. Um, so that, you know, that's that's one technique that's that's quite commonly deployed. And, you know, there are certainly others. It, it really depends on, you know, the value of your assets, the makeup of your assets, you know, some of the, uh, you know, estate planning techniques that might have been utilized in relation in the past that, that sort of helped to define the direction we might go with a particular family. Yeah. Does it, does it matter how much is in that estate or are the mechanisms that you use um, cookie cutter? Uh, you know, certainly estate value has a big impact on it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you're talking about comprehensive estate planning, uh, you know, the the uh, the work that can be involved with it from a legal perspective or from a, from an accounting perspective can be quite complex. And of course, you know, if your estate's the, the greater the value of your estate, the the greater the benefit. And so, you know, generally speaking, as a rule of thumb, we we would suggest that you know once your estate is worth more than a million dollars, you've sort of moved beyond simple will planning, which of course is the process by which we just distribute our assets. It doesn't take into account any sort of tax planning. And as the estate grows from from there, I would suggest that the options available to you are are greater. That's just just the reality. There's always a cost benefit analysis with with any sort of of tax planning or or you know reorganization of our estates. I think one of the great benefits that we have at least hopefully experienced during COVID and as we slowly emerge from the uh, crisis and hopefully we emerge fully sooner than later with the hope that a vaccine is around the corner. One of the benefits, I believe, Chris, and you can touch on this if you'd like, is that uh, we have spent time with family and that opens up certain conversations about the future our health, the fact that we're all mortals, mere mortals, and what can we do to make the rest of our lives as financially secure as possible? In that context, can you talk a little bit about living wills? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, a living will, and it goes by by a different name in different provinces, but it's really, really two components. One is the enduring power of attorney, and that document allows you to designate individuals to make financial decisions for you in the event that you're in some way incapacitated, you know, whether that's for a short or a long period of time. And that's, you know, that's the key. If you're running a business, if you have an investment portfolio, especially as there's, you know, some chaos in the markets, that you have someone that can step in and and protect your assets, um, you know, and protect your estate value. And then the other document that we see, which is often referred to as a living will, is the the representation agreement. And really what it does is it allows us to designate, you know, family, friends, you know, trust people we trust to make, uh, you know, health care and other personal decisions for us in the event that we are, that, that we are unable. And, you know, I think many of us have realized that, um, you know, as, as you've identified, you know, COVID is a, a real serious threat. And, uh, you know, ultimately we need to have some of these documents in place. Well, uh, and you mentioned in the first segment uh, documents that will protect or freeze your estate so that 
the powers that be can't come after uh, some of our hard-earned assets to pay for COVID. Chris Sabat, General Counsel, McMillan Estate Planning, is our guest this afternoon on Vancouver Consumer here at CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Chris Sabat can be reached on the website mcmillanestate.com, mcmillanestate.com, or toll-free 1-833-266-6464, May I suggest, if you have any questions of your own that uh, I've forgotten to ask, uh, you may want to ask them yourselves. Everybody has particular concerns, and you can voice those concerns and get some answers during a series of uh, webinars that are coming up with McMillan Estate. McMillanEstate.com is how you register. They're coming up July 29th, August the 12th, and August the 26th, and you can ask all the questions you want, but you've got to get registered. And, uh, of course, uh, the seating is limited to everyone because it is a virtual seminar. I was reading an article, Chris, this week, the five reasons you need an estate plan. I'm just going to run them down quickly because you've covered on a couple of them. Five reasons you need an estate plan. Avoid probate. Uh, reduce estate taxes. Avoid a mess. Uh, protect your beneficiaries and protect your assets. You've covered off some of them. But one of the things that I would like you to explain is one of the ways you can cover off on all of those five, and that's the Insurance Act. I don't recall ever um, being told that there was an Insurance Act that could help me in my estate plan. Yeah, no, there there absolutely is. And so, you know, at a real high level, uh, you know, ultimately, when it comes to investment advisors, they're either regulated under the Bank Act or they're regulated under the Insurance Act. And, you know, often the investment products or tools that you can utilize under the Insurance Act appear to be, for the most part, the same as what would be offered by, you know, your by your traditional investment advisor. But there are some differences. Um, you know, when it comes to investments that are regulated by the Insurance Act, they're able to bypass probate. There's uh, creditor protection associated with with. Uh, you know, with that option, um, and you can obtain things that are referred to as sort of capital or principal guarantees that allow you to have some assurance that the funds that you initially invest into the market will that that value will be there in the event that you pass or the investment matures, and you know, at a time when the market is is down. And so, you know, many families look to investing through the Insurance Act as an option to, you know, preserve estate value and also um, avoid things like probate fees, which as as I'm sure you're aware in British Columbia, it's it's calculated based on the value of your estate. And so the greater the value of your estate, the greater the impetus to, to look for options to avoid that fee. Because at the end of the day, if you're writing a check to the government, call it what you want, it's a tax. And uh, everyone likes to avoid that tax. Well, that's what you mean when you talk about protecting your assets. I've heard you speak before about setting up a defense mechanism against all of these, and you you were right in describing that probate as nothing more than a tax. Any other, uh, quickly, in the last couple of minutes we've got together uh, this afternoon, uh, Chris, any other quick tips that people can use other than do not procrastinate? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, and that's that's really why we encourage people to to attend our seminar. At the end of the day, we want to sort of give them a, a high level high level overview. 
you know, the if we just sort of focus on that that theme of probate, um, there is an opportunity through trust planning as well to again also avoid that probate fee and you know some of the legal costs that are typically associated with that process, and so. Uh, it's it's quite a, a popular technique in British Columbia just because of that asset-based uh, fee calculation. And so I would encourage any family with, with you know, some significant wealth to look at it as, as an option or an opportunity. And ask your own questions at a series of three webinars coming up uh, sponsored by Macmillan Estate, July 29th, August 12th, and August 26th. You register simply by going onto the website, macmillanestate.com. Chris Sabat, General Counsel, Macmillan Estate Planning. Uh, tell us some of the areas that you plan to cover over and above some of the questions you're going to get on those seminars. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, we'll obviously cover some of the, you know, the various topics we've been talking about here today. Uh, we'll certainly also focus on things like, you know, U.S. estate tax issues for Canadians, um, you know, assets and investment protection as far as a, a method to protect estate value, and then some you know some some items like trust planning, which we've talked about here today, and and things like charitable giving, and you know planning on on how to sort of pass your legacy on on through the, you know through the children and ultimately the grandchildren and beyond. So, uh, I hope everyone will find it to be a an informative evening and. Uh, certainly welcome anyone that would like to attend. One quickie that's been making the rounds among my professional and personal colleagues, uh, Chris, and you can give me a yes or no answer. I know it's not that simple, but are you getting a lot of inquiries from Canadians who own vacation properties in the U.S. with no timeline on when they might be able to return? And so one of their options is to sell. We certainly are we certainly are receiving a lot of, of questions and queries about it. I think for now, you know, many families are just sort of holding tight. Um, they hope to see some sort of resolution to, you know, to the Corona crisis and, and they hope to have the ability to, to return to utilize those properties, especially for snowbirds, you know, until health dictates that you need to sell it. Many are just so, sort of holding tight. Um, Quite commonly, what happens is we're contacted before individuals actually purchase those homes because there are planning techniques that you can utilize to avoid taxation on that property in the United States. And that's something that's quite important to look at because at the end of the day, if, if taxation of a, of a home or a, a property in the United States is triggered, the taxes end up being approximately 40% of the value. So if you have that, you know, that million-dollar home on that on one of the Hawaiian islands, that's that's quite a significant piece of taxes if if they're triggered. So, um, you know, we generally encourage all families to, to contact us before they go through the process of actually putting in the offer on the home. Well, uh, I asked for a yes or no answer, and you've opened up a whole can of worms, and we're going to just have to leave it at that until next time. But if you are a snowbird or you're a property owner in the U.S., you can ask those questions before Chris and I get together again at Vancouver Consumer by signing up for their virtual webinars at MacmillanEstate.com. Three of them coming up, July 29th, August 12th, and August the 26th. Chris Sabat, General Counsel, Macmillan Estate Planning, MacmillanEstate.com, uh, direct line one. 1-833-266-6464. You are listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Back in a moment. And you're back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Time now for 
Ask Andrew. Andrew Ferreira, executive producer of Vancouver Consumer. Uh, I've got a boat I could sell you if you got any dough uh, today, Andrew. How much? <laughs> That's my first question. Well, How much are we talking Yeah, here? well, it's going to be a lot. Uh, did you tell me coming into the station today that they're selling a ferry? Yeah, so this actually crossed my desk uh, last week. And, uh, you know, timing being what it was, I couldn't get to it. But I'm happy to get to it now. And I'm happy to see that the, uh, believe it or not, the Craigslist ad um, is still up. So if you would like to be the proud new owner of a recently decommissioned BC Ferries vessel, uh, Craigslist is the place to go. The uh, North Island Princess, uh, uh, it's a 1958 constructed ferry, can carry up to 150 crew and passengers and carry up to 38 vehicles. Uh, used to run on the Powell River to Texada Island route, uh, but now that it's been retired, BC Ferries has put it up for sale. Uh, through uh, Pacific Boat Brokers. Uh, they've been a, a boat selling company for almost uh, for more than 20 years now. Um, the price is a cool $159,000. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, I, I don't have 160 grand lying around, but it would be pretty neat, uh, you know, given where we are right now in this pandemic. Uh, imagine having your own, what could essentially be a gigantic uh, houseboat. And I, I mean gigantic. You could you could play mini golf on the deck of this thing if you really wanted to. Moor it up somewhere, enjoy. Now, of course, you know, this kind of thing is out of the, you know, out of the league of most normal people. <laughs> uh, but it's stuff like this. Uh, I found it just interesting that this was listed on Craigslist as the official ad. Yeah, I, I thought maybe it was a joke. No, it, it, it's totally not a joke. I'm looking at the ad right now. 61.04 meters ferry powered with twin MTU V12 2000 engines with twin disc gears. Uh, so if you and uh, 37 of your other friends want to pile in some money and buy a ferry, you know where to go. Well, you're right. Uh, I wonder what it cost to moor it somewhere. I mean, that, that would be a cheap place to live if you can figure out all the all the added uh, maintenance costs, etc. Just to moor it somewhere at 159000 you got yourself one big condo. And um, it's one unique condo, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, how, how, how often do you get to go over to a friend's house and they say, hey, my house is actually a ferry? <laughs> yeah. Craigslist, I love it. You can find almost anything on there, including a ferry uh, now being sold uh, by the province. Cool, $159,000. Andrew Ferrer, executive producer of Vancouver Consumer, thank you. And you have been listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. We shall see you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.